Welcome to a life well lived. Grow, preserve, and transfer your wealth with Ken Olette, CPM Certified Portfolio Manager and Founder of Orca Wealth Management. In this podcast, he will provide some clarity in setting goals needed to build, preserve, and transfer wealth and overcome some of life's financial obstacles. Ken provides actionable steps to help you plan through your financial ups and downs in a way everyone can understand. Join us on this journey where Ken will explore many financial avenues, drawing from his three decades of experience in helping others avoid risking a lifetime's worth of work and savings by not having a plan and a strategy in place. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to A Life Well Lived with Ken Olette. Ken, good to be back with you. It is good to be back with you. I left Saturday from North Carolina and there was snow on the ground. I'm now in Florida and it is 82 degrees. Yeah, well, I'm jealous. So let's yeah, just move on, shall we? Because I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I always like to start with a little yeah. nudge to you about the weather. <laughs> yeah. I know you I know you do. And that's the nice thing about Florida is there's oceans and there's water and they don't I don't have any of that here, but you know <laughs> it is what it is. We do what we You've can, got right? corn. I have corn. corn and internet. <laughs> corn and internet. And beef. Come on now. <laughs> beef, we got some beef. Amazing beef. Although it's really freaking expensive. So that it is. It's really expensive. Yeah, it's just uh Anyway, but it's cheaper than other places in the state, so I really can't complain. I just I'm a big whiner right now. I don't know what it. I just need to go eat a steak and be quiet. You can know, you what's handle this by yourself. Yeah, not to get on a tangent, but I, I maybe you can explain this uh, in one of our future podcasts. But you know, I've heard that that the farmers or the ranchers who are raising the cattle, their prices are have gone up, but they can't sell the beef for any more than they were selling it. But in the store, it's gone up like thirty percent. It's ridiculous. Have you heard that? Well, I have some farmer friends, and there has been grumblings like this for a very long time. There, it does not reflect, right? It doesn't seem to reflect what's actually happening. So the, the hmm. price of beef in the store is not. It's not like the farmers are raising their prices that much. And right. I know in our last podcast we talked about fuel prices, you know, and that's still not necessarily a fun topic to talk about today. But right. but that's part of it, I'm sure. The transportation of, but still, it, I think the farmers get a raw deal a lot of times. Yeah. I think so, they do. I really do. Yeah. It, it's a volatile market out there. Oh, it like, is. Did you like that segue? What uh, a great topic. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's talk about that. So I, I know today you're going to actually talk about five steps to handle or handling market volatility, which I'd love to get a handle on that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, volatility is, I mean, I, I love the word volatility, right? Because volatility could be a positive, right? It could be the volatility. I mean, market's going way up. On a roller coaster, it's fun. Yeah, no, yeah. Nobody talks about volatility when the market's hitting new highs. Yeah, right? exactly. Volatility. Everybody associates volatility with the market is going down. Mm-hmm. Or we're losing money. The volatility is what makes the money. It's what where we do all of our good work. It is what is. It is the secret sauce to the equity investor. Is the volatility. If the markets just went flat or just barely up incrementally and you didn't have that volatility, we wouldn't be able to average the annual returns that we do. So volatility should be welcomed. And so we're going to talk about that, I think. Yeah. And I was jokingly said said the comment about the roller coaster, but really mm-hmm. that's kind of how I, I view the markets, right? Because yeah. when the market is up, just like the roller coaster, when you're going when you're going up, especially after you've gone down a hill and you're going up, 
you have this almost anti-gravity feeling to you, right? You're lighter than you normally are because you're just going up to that high point. And so it feels really good, right? But it's still very volatile because your body's moving around and shaking and all that stuff. And then when you get to the bottom, then your stomach is in your shoes. And that's exactly what the market does. Because when it's really high, everybody's feeling a little bit lighter. feels pretty good. Even though it's volatile, we just don't even notice it. And when it's down, our stomach is in our shoes. And so nobody likes that feeling. Yeah, and I think there's the old adage on Wall Street, you know, they say that up markets are like trudging upstairs and the down markets like an escalator straight down. Right? Yeah. That's what it kind of feels like. Yeah. So yeah, it feels like all one. the work is all the work is going up and then it just it feels like, oh, what happened? You yep. know, kind of thing. All right. Well, volatility is inevitable and we've talked yep. about that before just in, in past what can we do? What are your best tips for handling this stuff? Well, I think number one you have to start with the don't panic. More hmm. money has been lost through fear and greed on Wall Street than any calamity in history. And I have seen this. I could give you countless stories of panic creating ill outcomes, right? Mm -hmm. And fortunately, I was been able to see some pretty extreme markets over these three decades. And I've been able to watch not only investor psychology, but other in, in, in that I worked with and how they reacted with their clients. But there is a true psychology into investing and that panic is what really, really creates the problem. So if we can get the number one step is don't panic. And I'll tell you, I had a, I had kind of a nice little simile to this. So I went to Disney World and they have this ESPN track experience. Oh, yeah. It's super cool. So you, you go with the professional driver. It's like a NASCAR. And you're learning to drive this car. And so you're going around the circle, going around the circle, and he's got a little button. When he hits the button, the car will go into a spin. And he teaches you to say, hey, when you go into the spin, you want to look where you're going, mm -hmm. right? Do not look at the wall, right? He go, we go around the track. He hits the button. Where do you think my head goes? <laughs> right, right to the wall, right? Yeah. So we're going right towards the wall. Do it again. We'd have to do this two or three times before I finally get it, that what he's telling you is the car goes where you're looking, mm -hmm. right? So if you're looking at the wall, it's going to go into the wall. And I think that that is a great simile for the investing public. If you have a plan, if you have a strategy, if you have these things in place, you can look and focus on that plan about where you're going, not where you're afraid and the fear and the panic is going to take you. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, and so sometimes, even if you're taught it, it, it takes a few times to go around the block before you learn it. And, and so we, that, that's the number one thing. Just don't panic. Well, I think it really, really works well as an analogy because the people that, that normally are going to panic and are going to hit that wall, that's because they're the driver, right? Mm -hmm. If you have somebody in the vehicle with you, if you have somebody alongside with you that has been through this before, is an expert in this, and we're going to give contact information at the end of the show here because people need to be able to talk to an expert and say, hey, look, I'm, I am concerned. I don't want to hit the wall. But it, it's those that are just like, no, I've got this. And then they experience that first spin or that first dip. And they're like, I'm out of here. That's it. And, yep. and that's timing the market's a big is a big issue. And you've likened to that on this podcast before as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what panic truly is, is, is people, like you said, greed or fear, but they try to time it. Okay, it went down. So now I'm pulling everything out because I don't want to lose more. And then they lose every opportunity to get that money back. Yeah. And I've had this conversation with some of my clients as well. And I tell them if something happened to me, I would have my wife work with a financial advisor. 
just mm-hmm. for the exact point that you, you brought up. It's uh, There's a reason why, because I'm a pilot, as I've alluded to in some of these podcasts, mm-hmm. and there's a reason why the safety record in the airlines is so much better than the private pri- private pilot population, because we're single pilot planes. The commercial aircraft are all co-pilots, co-pilots and pilots. Mm-hmm. They have two people there to reassure the process. And so when a private pilot, some private pilots get in issues, Sometimes they're overcome with the emotion, the panic, what have you, and they have nobody to offset that or talk that process through. And so, I, and you're spot on. You're spot on. That's why I've always told my clients and my wife that if something were to ever, God forbid, happen to me, you would want to get an advisor and you would want to work with them because you have to have a sounding board, a, yeah. a rational, that someone that's that's a distant from your own asset. It's, it's crit- critical. Yeah. Yeah. It removes the emotion from it. Absolutely. Removes the emotion. Yeah. So what's the second thing? The second thing is you actively have to assess your risk profile. I mean, I can't stress this enough. People need to know, and a good advisor, some, sometimes a good advisor will get out of you what your risk profile is. So if you have somebody new to, to the world of advising, they don't know that clients actually sometimes don't know what their risk profile is. To give you an example, so when early in my career, when the markets were going good in the 90s, you would get a client that would come in and they had they would tell you they they're not too concerned about risk that they just want to maximize the return you know it, they're not too worried that 30 or 40% down if as long as they can get 30 or 40% up and they want to average a high average annual return they were fine with that what we found was when the markets did go on an extended downturn they weren't fine with that. Yeah, they, yeah, they were fine with it when the markets were really good. But when the markets got troubling, then they became the investor that didn't didn't really care about upside return. They just wanted to preserve their principal, mm-hmm. right? And so what that kind of taught us early in the process of being an advisor was, all right, there's what the client says sometimes, and then what do deep down inside what do they really mean? And so when we actively assess that risk profile. And it's not a cookie cutter approach. It's not, well, you know, you're 65, so you need 35% mm-hmm. in fixed income. It's not that. It is, we go through scenarios, we get a feel for what their responses are and how they would feel through these type of market scenarios. I feel that I've developed kind of a talent for being able to get clients through rough markets. And that's simply because I know what their risk profile is going into it. And we can't do that unless we actively assess that risk profile and have it written down. So for those that have never done a risk profile, can you explain that a little bit just so the, they have a better idea of how that's done and what that means? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have to go through and, and it's kind of the fireboat drill. So if, they, if we tell them that, because obviously the more volatile the portfolio, meaning the more swings up and down the roller coaster that we alluded to, the potential for greater return over a long period of time because you're assuming more risk. So we initially start with what what do you need in terms of a return to get you where you need to be? All right, so that's the first rung in the ladder. Once we know what that return is, then we can find out how comfortable they are with that return based off of scenarios in the past. We look at past markets, past debacles, what that number would have equated to to a downside to the portfolio. 
and then I show them an actual numbers. What, would you be comfortable for this long withdrawing this at this rate of return if the market were to go down? And we can kind of glean how they react to that. And so sometimes they'll say, hey, Ken, I just, I'm not comfortable being, being down that much. And so, okay, we'll have to re- readjust perhaps maybe some of their goals, their time frame, the allocation of the portfolio to substantiate that. But it's critical that they that they know what their risk profile is and they're comfortable. So that way they will not panic when something goes wrong. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's key. Factor right. number one. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. What's the third step? You got to have a, an investment policy statement. It's got to be clear. It's written out. And that essentially makes shows the responsibility of each party. And I oftentimes will have somebody come in, um, somebody new that has heard one of our podcasts or seen us on social media, been to one of my webinars. And the first thing I ask them, bring in your statements. Let's go over what you're doing so I can get a clue as to what you've done in the past, Mm -hmm. good and bad. And bring me in your written policy statement. And then I'll hear zero. Yeah, crickets. (laughs) Crickets. And I'm like, well, you have one, right? You know, they're like, no, I've never been asked one. And a written policy statement essentially outlines exactly what the roles are of the client and the advisor. And it's critical. So if we need to know what I am, what I'm going to provide in terms of performance reporting, how many times we're going to meet, what your risk tolerance is, it includes the above, what we're going to provide you in terms of services and education and then on the client side the client needs to have that envision or that financial plan and their policy is that they agree to this type of risk tolerance that we've worked through this type of expected turn over a long period of time and they're expected to to fulfill their end by meeting with us responding when we call them you know sometimes you know, if you call a client and they don't get back to you in a timely fashion that can be a problem right mm-hmm. yeah so we have an expectation or somebody calls us we call you back within 24 hours no there's there, 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 there that is a, a hard and fast rule so we expect that when we call a client we'd like to hear back from them within two to three days yeah. not a month right and so all that has to be written in the policy statement so that way there's no there's no, you know, I didn't know that we were going to meet or I didn't know that we should do that or I didn't know what my my obligations were and I didn't know that you were split. So we want to eliminate all of that guesswork and have it written out in a state. It's clear. It's one page. It's very, very easy to understand. And so that way it just avoids confusion. Well, it goes right back to your inaugural podcast. One of the things that you told me was that the people that you want to work with are people that are actively participating in this process because if you don't you can't just have somebody as an observer watching the world go by for the next 20 to 30 years they've got to be actively participating their own success and that's something that you you were very clear on so that makes perfect sense when i first started it it was like pulling teeth to get the wife in on the conversations with regarding money you know Mm -hmm. it just back in the 90s you would have a meeting and the wife just didn't want to be involved it just and then what I grew to learn was, is that the majority of the assets would fall in the wife's lap at one, one point, mm-hmm. right? So I made it a policy statement in our policy statement that when we meet, your wife will be present. 
You yeah. could, because I, I explain it to both parties, and sometimes it goes the other way, right? The wife is, runs all the finances, and now the husband doesn't want to be involved. At one point, one of those parties, this is going to be thrust upon them. Yeah. And and it's it is the worst time to educate a client about the what we're doing, what we're trying to do, what the market's going to provide when they're in a grieving process for three to six months to a year. Yeah. And a lot can happen in the market in that period. So I want them to be up to speed if something happens to one of the other parties. So I always, in my policy statement, I learned back in the 90s that when the men would pass away, a lot, the majority of that money was flowing to the wives because they would outlive all the men, it seemed like that I need to have both parties involved. And so yeah. now we're seeing more engagement. Now it's easy, much easier, because we have we have some really, really, really just enabled the circumstances for both parties to want to be involved in finances. But it used to not be that way. Yeah. And so now sometimes I have to work real hard to get the, man, the males involved with the processes because sometimes the wives run it. But they both need to be there because that is key. And I was one of the few to do that early on. Yeah. And for those that are listening, if that sounded a little hard, it's not. And here's why. The fact that he is so insistent, that Ken is so insistent on this, it, it may sound just like, man, that that's really hardcore. That's really hard. That's the policy or that's how he feels about it. But it is truly because if you look back in history uh, during the 40s and 50s and 60s, who is the major breadwinner? The, right. the men were. Who are the mm-hmm. ones that dealt with the investments? The men were. And so therefore, the old school advisors when they would talk to somebody about the investments or the finances, they only spoke to the men. So it didn't matter if yep. the wife showed up for the appointment or not. They were, by and large, ignored in the marketplace. And it was, it was a travesty. It was stupid. And, and there, are, there are still advisors out there that just don't think it's that important. And that just bothers the snot out of me. And so I know that that's, Ken, that's one of the reasons you're so insistent. And you're very, very passionate about it. It's not that you don't think that they're pulling their weight. It's just the fact that, look, they have been marginalized and ignored for so long that it's about time that somebody says, no, you are absolutely 50-50 in this. And there's no reason that you can't know or can't feel as good or as secure as the other party is in in this situation. And so, yeah, I know that for our listeners, they may have just thought that was just a little bit different than what they've heard before. And it is, and it's a good Mm -hmm. thing. So don't take offense to that. It's truly changing the dynamic of what the relationship looks like and who's in charge. And that's both of you period. Yeah. And I can take that one step further. It was a learning process for me because now three decades later, I would say, 65 to 70 percent of my assets are women yeah women led accounts they're because they either the husband has passed away all of the money it seems flows to you know women outlive men by an average i've seen it in my practice it seems like it's six seven eight years and so there women end up with the majority of the assets mm-hmm. in financial services. I mean, maybe somebody doesn't want to be politically correct and say that, but it is the norm. I've seen it. I've seen it throughout my practice. And so I saw that early on and you're to your point back in the day, I would see advisors that would just, they wouldn't even, they would just put the male's name on the, correct. on the letter, not even Mr. And Mrs. Yep. And so fortunate that's changed. But the reality is that both parties, whether it's it's a couple if it's a same sex couple or if it's what have you it doesn't matter both parties need to be in the room when we have our meetings because it you know it may seem it may seem harsh to require that as you mentioned but we're only 
involved in the success of the client. Correct. So whatever that takes to provide that. And so we try to look at any nuance that might be a detriment to that. There's no downside to having both parties involved in the financial discussion. Absolutely agree. A hundred percent. One hundred percent. All right. Number four. What's the fourth step? Number four is stay diversified. You know, you hear this over and over and over and over again, but it's Mark Twain said it best. If you have one egg in that basket, you better watch that basket. We, a lot of things, and we're seeing that right now that people in this current little period that they are way under diversified. People have these fang stocks, right? The, the Facebooks, the Alphabets, Microsoft, Net, and they've kind of concentrated their wealth, a lot of people in certain sectors. Mm-hmm. And that's that that causes a problem because you know the market works in cycles. Sometimes consumer goods do well, sometimes energy does well. I mean, let's look last year, I think we talked about in one of our podcasts, oil, we were washing oil and the oil companies looked like they were going out of business. Remember Exxon was at $36 a share. It didn't look like they were going to be a going concern. Remember it, it was just all you know, energy stocks are just, there's no way you'd want to own them. Well, I mean, look at this year, the best performing sector is what? Energy. Energy, <laughs> right. So last year's losers become this year's winners. And so we want to have you know, a culmination. We don't know what the future is going to provide. We don't know what the next two to three years is going to look like. So we've got to make sure that we hedge our, our portfolio and our positions to whatever outcome. We do well. We do okay, right? And so that's what diversification does. Yeah, absolutely. And those that are thinking, well, geez, if I just, you know, figure out which which of those sectors is going to do well, I just move my money around, right? Like yeah. a shell game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there's an 800 number for you, crystal ball, 1-800. I'm sure somebody will sell you something, but it, nobody has that, right? I mean, that that's the entire thing. And that actually likens back to your first thing, you know, your first statement about not panicking. You, you said a statement that just absolutely resonated with me. The biggest losses in the market come from fear and greed. And that's the greed piece of it, right? I mean, you're Mm -hmm. trying to chase those things. You're trying to time the markets and it just doesn't make much sense. And that, that leads us to number five. I already know that you're going to be talking about, we can't rely on the media. And I just want to put this in there. Some people would lump podcasts into media, but here's the thing is that you're not paying for this podcast. And this podcast is not getting any revenue from advertising space or any of that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All the media outlets out there, it doesn't matter what letters they have, whether it's FOX or CNN, they all have to generate revenue by selling advertising space. And so they're going to sensationalize anything they can. I think we've all experienced this kind of preaching to the choir, I'm sure at this mm-hmm. point, but it is so imperative because they have to sell you to get you to watch just that one statement. And I don't know if I told you this before, Ken, but I told my kids this a long time ago. I said, you've got to be careful because their primary job is to sell advertising space, to get you to watch the show, to get you to tune in so that you then consume those advertisements during the show. And I always gave them this example. I said, you'll be flipping through the channels, you know, watching your show, your after school show or whatever at three or four o'clock in the afternoon. And you'll see a blip that comes on and says, 10 things in your refrigerator that can kill you tonight at 10 o'clock. <laughs> well, now it's four o'clock in the afternoon and I can't eat all day because there's 10 things in my fridge that are going to kill me. They're going to tell me at the 10 o'clock news. I mean, it's all bait, yeah. right? And so tell me your take on it uh, on, you know, you say, don't rely on the media. If your fifth step, um, mm-hmm. what's that all about? Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because when I was 25, 26 years old, I used to do a monthly seminar. For the public, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was funny because it was at a restaurant and it was in the wine cellar, but the wine cellar was upstairs. <laughs> oh, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was weird. But I did one every month 
And I mean, it was just like clockwork. At the beginning of the month, every month, I would do one for the public and just invite them in. And it was only an educational summit. I, had, I decided I'm not going to do anything with a product in it. I'm not going to show any particular strategy. I'm just going to give what I would teach somebody if they wanted to know from nothing how to build a successful portfolio. So they could leave that summit and use that that teaching and build a pretty pretty good portfolio, right? And so one of the first things I would say back in the day, I said, listen, I go, you know, I used to make fun of Money Magazine. Everybody remembers Money Magazine back mm-hmm. in the day. That was a big periodical, but now it's CNBC or Bloomberg or what have you. But I used to always say, if they just had this on their program every day, this, what I'm telling you today, if they put it on today, they put it on tomorrow, you would watch the third time for about 15 minutes and you would never tune in again because it wouldn't be anything new because it's fundamentally good information. You already know it. Why would I want to tune in again? And to your point, that's not how these networks work because they have advertising because they need you to tune in the next day. They've got to tell you why you should buy gold today, mm-hmm. why the market's going higher, and here's what you need to do to not miss out. The market's going down. You need to sell and take profits today to save yourself. And then it'll be the next day, it'll be something different. But it is the more they can make it one way than one day, one day and one way the other day, the more people will tune in. And it, it, you know, if you watch it long enough, you get a headache. Yeah. It's just because it's it's so transparent what they're doing. They will even put they, they will put analysts on that are just completely utterly different from the morning to the afternoon. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's all goes into the performance culture and things of that nature that, that that lead us down down a wrong down a wrong rabbit hole. But you can't rely on that type of media for your material. You want to you want to use educational resources whenever possible that don't have a particular paid advertiser or some type of skin in the game, right? Mm-hmm. It's just something that you can take and use anywhere. That's kind of the my acid test. Am I learning a concept or am I learning a product? Yeah. Yes. Or an action. You know, it there you have to discern. And so we try to we try to in these podcasts, that's why we, we don't say anything specific. I don't tell you what stock to buy. I don't tell you what mutual fund or exchange traded fund to buy. I don't want that to be the purpose of these. I want you to be able to listen to this and say, okay, if I put these five steps into play in my own, and if my financial advisor's on board with it, great. If not, maybe I'll call Ken. Great. But it, there's not going to be anything that's going to point you and it's not going to change next year, right? Mm-hmm. If I give another volatility talk, it's going to look very similar to this one. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And that's what I love about this. I mean, this is just information. People can do with it as they please. My hope is that they're listening to this and saying, okay, there's definitely some some of these things out of these five steps. I've got a couple of them that I think I have a pretty good handle on. There's a couple that I could probably use a little bit of help with. Uh, Maybe that's the diversified piece of it, or I haven't had a risk profile, uh, or at least I don't remember doing a risk profile either with my current advisor or ever. Um, and, and that's my hope is that they just call in or they go to the website and set up some time to speak with you or maybe get into some of those other resources because you've got a ton of them on the website. Yep. Yep. Yeah, we have we have a ton of educational events that we do. Like I said, we do two webinars that are open to the public that are educational only. They're balanced information. And then we do live events where where you can just get in, a, come in and have a good meal and have a feel feel for our tenure, our ability to look at the markets and, and just, just good information. Like I said, no product or anything of that nature. We're not out there showing you an annuity that's going to give you this great rate and we think you should do it. That's not what we do. We just do all educational events and that's it. Perfect. All right. Well, 
give them the website one more time. It is www.orcawealth.com. So that's O-R-C-A-W-E-A-L-T-H.com. Perfect. Ken, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for bringing a great education to the audience and myself. Thanks, Eric. Enjoyed it. And our last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to A Life Well Lived with Ken Ouellette, founder of Orca Wealth Management. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Ken comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it really easy to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Orca Wealth Management, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. For listening to a life well lived. Grow, preserve, and transfer your wealth with Kinolet CPM. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Orca Wealth Management LLC. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Orca Wealth Management LLC does not provide legal or tax advice. Clients should seek the advice of a qualified attorney or accountant as necessary.